Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, subject of the talk tonight is clear comprehension. In Pali, the term is uh, sampajanya. And if it's it's sometimes preceded with the word sati, which is um, usually translated as mindfulness, sati sampajanya, mindfulness, clear comprehension. Or it's also known as um, uh, clearly knowing, and it is um, it's mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta. Is it on? Uh, It's mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta. Actually, throughout the Satipatthana Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, if you're not familiar with that, is um, the Discourse on mindfulness that is the foundation for all of mindfulness meditation. It's the the instructions that the Buddha gave that lead to liberation. I've mentioned it uh, many times here before. It's really the essence of our practice. And as it it says in the beginning of the, the discourse... Oh, maybe I'll I'll just read this translation, um, and I'll read about uh, clear comprehension. This is a a wonderful book, by the way, if you're looking for probably the most in-depth exploration, or I shouldn't say that, one of the most in-depth explorations of the Satipatthana Sutta. This is called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization by... Analio, um, this very profound Buddhist scholar meditation teacher, uh, goes into exquisite depth and detail of the Satipatthana Sutta. There's another book, what made me say, well, hold on, there's another book that's also very in-depth by Joseph Goldstein called Mindfulness, which is a, a thick book, very clear. If you know Joseph, he's about as clear as it gets. And he um, based that book on Analio's both translation and elucidation of the Satipatthana Sutta. And Joseph gave, uh, you can get this on uh, the Dharma Seed um, link and website, uh, dharmaseed.org has thousands of Dharma talks. And Joseph gave a series of 46 talks based on this book that then became a very clear elucidation. Those talks were edited and, uh, and put in a really great book on mindfulness. And he called it mindfulness purposely to kind of reclaim mindfulness besides the stress reduction or other, va- other ways that mindfulness is used, saying mindfulness, this is the real Dharma-based mindfulness. And that book uh, as I said, was elucidation of Analio's book. There's another book which for years was uh, was one of my main references, um, a wonderful book called The Heart of Buddhist Meditation by Nyanapanika Tara, which is also about the Satipatthana Sutta. But this is the more recent one and really gets into um, deep elucidation. But I'll just read Analio's 
the beginning of the sutta and also get into where he talks about clear comprehension. Just first listen to the the opening lines. <clears throat> thus have I heard, thus have I heard, by the way, is how many of the discourses start, and it is Ananda, the Buddha's attendant and cousin, who was his attendant for the last 25 years, um, who had supposedly perfect recall, a very useful thing to do when you're trying to remember the teachings. And they had this council, and Ananda said, well, This is one thing I heard. I remember he talked about this, and it starts out, thus have I heard. So this is Ananda just saying what he remembers the Buddha saying. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country at a town of the Kurus named Kamasadanama. There he addressed the monks thus, Monks, venerable sir, they replied, And then the Blessed One said this. Monks or practitioners, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha, suffering and discontent, for acquiring the true method of, for the realization of Nibbana, the highest happiness, freedom, namely the four Satipatthanas. Now in his translation, he doesn't translate the word Satipatthana. It's often translated as Jnanapanaka does in Heart of Buddhist Meditation as the four establishments of mindfulness or the four foundations of mindfulness, which are four different areas that the Buddha talks about that we can be mindful of. But the key is that mindfulness is the direct path, or as Thich Nhat Hanh says, the most wonderful way, where I think um, he, Nyanapanika, um, calls it the direct, uh, the direct way, the most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, etc. And then he has this definition of mindfulness. What are the four? <clears throat> Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world, in regard to feelings, that's the second foundation, one abides contemplating feelings, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to the mind, that's the third foundation, he, one contemplates, abides contemplating the mind, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. And then in regard to dhammas, which are, He abides contemplating dhammas, diligent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. Let me just go through those four before we get to that clearly knowing part, that clear comprehension. So the four are being mindful of this body experience that is knowing there's breathing, knowing that there's sensations in the body, knowing that when you're walking, knowing you're walking, when you're eating, knowing you're eating, when you're lying down, knowing you're lying down, knowing everything concerned with this body. And actually that of the four 
is the most comprehensive, and there's lots of different aspects, knowing as the body is decaying after it dies, there's cemetery uh, meditations. You really get to know the body well. But, and with all of these, you know internally your own body and externally those around you too. So that's the first foundation, mindfulness of this body. Second foundation is uh, mindfulness of what's called feelings, but that's not emotions as we usually use the word. In this instance, feelings means the feeling tone of experience, what's called Vedana in Pali. And that is that every moment has a flavor of either being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And to notice the different flavors of experience is a very key doorway to liberation because when we don't notice it, the pleasant usually turns into grasping, the unpleasant usually turns into aversion, and the neutral uh, usually uh, becomes delusion where you space out on things. Uh, And then there's another aspect of delusion, uh, which I'll I'll get to uh, later on in the talk. So that's the second foundation. First is body. Second is feeling, tone, Vedana. Third foundation is the mind that is knowing all the things that come through the mind. All thoughts, mind states, emotions. You've probably seen as you sit here, You can notice what's happening in this body and you can also, you start to get a clue of what's going on with this mind. Sometimes it's, oi, that's going on with, oh my goodness. But sometimes it's, wow, look at that. But it's just coming on its own. It's just doing its own thing. Wow, look at the mind. Look at all these different mind states, whether it's joy or love or anger or lust or calm or uh, rapture, knowing it all. Oh, all of this stuff. Look at how the mind works. So that's the third foundation. And the fourth foundation is uh, what he translates as mindfulness of the dhammas or mindfulness of the dharma, which is a, a category that is really about the Buddha's teachings about how the mind gets caught and how it can be freed. And there's a list, five different, it's a, it's a, a category that has five different lists in it. There's the five hindrances, seeing how the mind gets caught. There's the seven factors of enlightenment. There's the six sense bases. There's the five aggregates, and there's the four noble truths. Don't worry, there's not going to be a test on this. Uh, But if you're a linear kind of person and like lists, you're in luck. Um, But it is really, it's a profound, it's an amazing body of teachings. Just seeing these are the different things that you can inspect in being alive, and the more you get to know this right in here, the more you understand how it is for all of us. Another teaching that I love, I mentioned here um, frequently, in this fathom-long body, in in this body, the whole of life is revealed. This is your laboratory to understand the human experience and what it means to be alive. And the more you understand this one, the more you understand the principles that we all share. And even beyond your own personal story, you understand some underlying principles of reality that become liberating. They lead to genuine freedom, awakening. So now getting back to this subject, 
where he says in this, each of these four foundations, one abides contemplating whatever the foundation is, diligent, that is, you're really impeccably paying attention, clearly knowing and mindful free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. That is, you're not thinking about what you wish would happen or you're not, you're just putting aside the world and you're, you're being like a scientist and taking a look. Oh, let's check it out diligently. And clearly knowing is the particular aspect of this that brings a broader dimension to your mindfulness practice. And as I said, sometimes it's called clear knowing and sometimes it's called clear comprehension. And there are four aspects of clear comprehension. So don't worry, we didn't, we still have a list for you if you want. So first, to explain what this clear knowing means. Mindfulness is often spoken of or thought of to simply know the direct experience, bare attention, as it's sometimes spoken of. Just knowing, mm, breathing in, breathing in. Breathing out, breathing out, hearing a sound, feeling a tickle, knowing, feeling a sadness or a mind state. And just to know the bare experience, oh, this is what's happening right now. That's bare attention. But that's not the whole story. As uh, I remember uh, one teaching colleague, Christine, uh, Christina Feldman, used to say, this is not about becoming a good breath watcher. That's like a, 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 um, a mindful lobotomy uh, where you're just knowing but not seeing the bigger picture, the context in which experience happens. And that's what this clear knowing and clear comprehension is about. That is, you're knowing what's happening, but you're knowing it um, in the middle of a larger context. And you're seeing, particularly knowing it, not just as you're sitting here with the bare experience, but as you move through your life as you are in the middle of activities, as you are uh, getting a sense of uh, not just this breath, but seeing it and the principles behind it, as um, Ramdas, one of my teachers, who I've mentioned here before, he says, it's one thing to know that you're lifting your foot and putting it down, but it takes on a whole other meaning when you know your zip code that you're walking in as well. So you're not just "Mm, there, but you sense, oh, there's others around. There's there's a place to practice. There's a, a place and time to practice in one way, and there's a place and time to practice in a different way when there's other people around. Or there's a there are dimensions of this clear knowing that bring a fullness to the the bare attention. And I'll go into these uh, uh, now. So what brings a a fuller understanding of bare attention? So the first of these clear knowings, or this clear comprehension, is called 
a clear comprehension of purpose. In, uh, let's see, in Pali, it's called sataka sampajanya, clear comprehension of purpose. This means knowing why you're doing what you're doing. When you're mindful, it really helps to have a reason to be mindful. Otherwise, it's just a kind of exercise that doesn't have a meaning to it. But he says, clearly knowing, having a sense of why you're doing what you're doing, that this mindfulness does lead to a deeper understanding, does lead to awakening. It's like, it's not just divorced in the simple activity, but there's a context, oh, this is why I'm doing this. Now, you don't have to be thinking about that while you are watching, feeling the breath. But to have some kind of a, an inspiration, to have some kind of a motivation for why you do it in the first place makes a difference. You know, maybe you've, you've had this experience when you've, done, you've been doing meditation practice. Maybe you got really excited about it at first, at the possibilities. And after a while, sometimes you uh, have a... Uh, you're in a period in the meditation, uh, in your meditation journey where you say, why am I doing this again? What's the point of this? Why am I spending this 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes? What's the point? Especially when a friend says, you're just sitting there watching your breath. What's the big deal? You know, are you out there being productive in your life? You know? Anybody ever have that, that question where you, where you at times wonder what the point of practice is? Anybody have that? Yeah. So it helps to clearly know, oh, this is why I'm doing this stuff. I remember when I first got exposed to the practice, it was really exciting when my I first met Joseph, my, my teacher, and he said, it is really possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion. And I said, wow, I'm going for it. I clearly knew that was for me because I had a lot of suffering inside. And then at some points in practice, I too fell into this, you know, gosh, I've been doing this for a long time and I don't, know, I don't know if much is happening. Is it really happening? What's going on here? Is there a point? And at different times, we can have different motivations. For me, sometimes it was to just suffer a bit less or to find some kind of peace of mind. Sometimes I've been inspired by the possibility of awakening, as the Buddha says in, in one of his teachings, if it were not possible to free the mind completely of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. And so for a period of time in my practice, it's enlightenment or bust. Yeah. I am going for it. And then at other times, that got into, well, that's kind of a grasping. You know, I could, sometimes it would get so, so uh, sweet in practice in the middle of a longer retreat, and I'd kind of try to watch myself get enlightenment, get enlightened. That does not work, by the way. And I was knocking my head against the wall saying, oh, forget this. I'm just, just in more gaining and accomplishment, and then I could put out a credential and say, yes, I'm enlightened, you know. Not a very impressive thing to say, by the way. Um, and then the motivation would change. And just, I just want to face in the direction 
of more and more um, purification of heart. I just want to face it. I, I believe in mindfulness, and if I keep on practicing, I'm cleaning up the confusion in my in my life. And I'll let go of, am I there yet? And just be motivated that I know I'm going in the right place. Sometimes it's been, I just want to open up my heart and, and love as much as I can. So it's not like there's one right answer for this. But it's getting in touch with what for you inspires you to do this. So you clearly know why you're doing it as well as what's happening. The first one, clear comprehension of purpose. Let me just ask you for a few moments maybe to um, just go inside And remember, there's no one right answer for this. But something brought you here on a Thursday night to be quiet and sit still for 40 minutes and stick around for a talk about the teachings or the truth or the Dharma that is speaking to you and moving moving you. And just reflect, why are you doing this? What really moves you to come and spend this time or to practice in your life? remember when you first got into it and maybe you said in your own version there's something here I want to check out maybe you didn't even understand it or understand why but something touched you just connect with that something right now you're clear comprehension of purpose, what motivates you, whether it's then, a while ago, or now. What motivates you now? And as you get in touch with it, you can rejoice that something has touched you that you can't ignore. Stay connected to this clear comprehension of purpose, this motivation that's pure, that's good, that leads you onward. That moves you to more openness open-heartedness and more clarity and wisdom. And when you meditate, you might take a few moments to connect and remember why you're doing what you're doing. Be just uh, here, take a few comments. Anybody who wants to share, don't feel like you have to, but there's something really powerful about being witnessed as well. So if you feel like sharing, we can all really support you in that. Mm-hmm. Just take a few comments. Anybody wants to share what their motivation is? 
Here, let's see. Jackie, can you bring it? Thanks. Over to Larry. Um, uh, I'm very clear. I am not confused about this at all. Uh, I've, in my life, I have uh, changed how I look at people. What happens to me when I see a new face on mm-hmm. the street mm-hmm. or an old face of someone I know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, I just feel like I'm transforming and my heart is opening. Mm. Um, and I, in all my 70-plus years, it's, this never happened before. Mm. And so I know it's very important. Mm. So that's why I do it. And even if nothing else happens, mm-hmm. enlightenment or whatever, or any of that stuff, I know that my relationship with people has gotten better and better mm-hmm. uh, and I, I feel feel really good about it mm, great so a continuing opening of the heart and yeah. connecting with people and yeah. with others great thank you any any other one here's one right here Jim I guess um, you know throughout life there's been moments of just awakeness where the everything just seems alive and vibrant and 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 sort of more real or something like that. Mm. And sitting, meditating allows that to happen during sitting times. And the training also, I think, you know, uh, opens up the mind, that strengthens the muscle of being able to see that, mm. not just sitting, but more and more. Um, you know, I have the sense that maybe somehow it's, maybe full awakening would be, being in that space, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, it's all that alive and intense and mm-hmm. awake. Thank you. So things coming more alive, more vivid. Anyone else? Any? Yes, William. It, when I touched base with it, it was the heart energy. Um, and just like a heart longing for truth. Mm, beautiful, yes. And one last one. And t- say your name. Is it? A- My name is Tracy. Tracy, yes. And um, I am interested in meditating, uh, sort of as an antidote to the electronic age and the age of accomplishment. Because my brain is so busy all the time with list and you know, shopping and um, acquiring and and things that I have to do mm-hmm. and things that I want to do and, and that um, I am never present for where what I am doing right now mm-hmm. and um, for doing just one thing. Mm-hmm. And that is the main reason that I'm here is to do one thing and to be present and um, to kind of feel where my center is because I mm-hmm. sort of feel like I've lost that. Mm. Great. To so come back to, to your center and feel connected in the present in your life. Mm-hmm. you got a lot of company with, with that one. Yeah. Thank you. So, and as, you know, I, I hope you're getting, there's no one right way. Just for what, what touches you, that's, that's the right one. It makes such a difference when we are more than merely doing an exercise that we know is good for us. You know, just like, you know, exercising the body is a, is a very good thing. But when you're exercising it and, and saying, oh, I really like this body, I really want to take care of this body, it, it's a whole other dimension than, okay, I'll go through my pull-ups or whatever. Um, No, not pull-ups, pushing-ups. But when when it's on your, the spiritual life, to deepen your spiritual life, then the whole meditation process has a whole other dimension to it. So that's that's the first. And I just want to say, I will see, I might not get to all four, it might be a two-part talk. Um, that 
sometimes the motivations can, uh, can get mixed. We can have mixed intentions. And that's useful to see. You know, like you might have uh, an intention, for instance, to um, be more loving, but also hope that people notice how loving you are. <clears throat> it's just being human, you know. Or, oh, I love being generous, and it's a, that's a central part of the teachings, to, to be generous, because it feels so good. Maybe something will come back to me. You know, It's human and understandable. We can have mixed intentions or mixed motives. Or with the meditation, I really want to find my center. You know, And it'll be so cool to be a good meditator, won't it? You know? yeah. mm. I think I'm getting pretty good at quieting my mind down. Mm. Wait till I tell people, you know. Um, and so you really uh, want to be human about this and uh, not judge yourself when you see mixed motives or mixed intentions. Until you're fully enlightened, there's bound to be some mm, ego payoff that might be slipping into the, the back of your mind. That's okay. As I often say, don't focus on that and on, oh, it's really ego that's driving this. It's mixed in there. But if you can keep on coming back to the wholesome aspect behind your actions, then you're not feeding those more um, egoic-based, and they'll take care of themselves but to just really stay connected to what truly inspires you, there's a richness in that. Okay, so this is clear comprehension of purpose, and we'll do one more uh, today. And the second one is called uh, clear comprehension of suitability. Uh, what's the Pali word for it? Mm. Sapaya Sampajanya. Mm. Clear comprehension of suitability is really, as I was saying before, knowing your zip code. That is, just knowing when you're mindful, knowing the appropriateness of bringing your practice into the moment. For instance, if you've ever done a retreat at Spirit Rock or a an intensive uh, meditation retreat. Um, I've mentioned it here uh, before. You know, there are people who haven't. There's the sitting meditation, and then there's the walking meditation, and then there's the eating meditation, and then there's the everything else meditation. But in the walking, people can be going lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. And the idea is to be really attentive in a curious, interested way. And so sometimes it's fun to go really slow. And you're going, lifting, moving, placing. Mm. Really wonderful practice, unless you happen to be in the food line and there's 20 people behind you and you're going and then when you get to the food spoon picking up dumping you feel the vibes of everybody around you if you're at all tuned in so that's a, a, a simple example of clear comprehension of purpose and knowing what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And that also has to do not only with your internal, but in your relating to others in daily life. And I, I came across this, uh, this one discourse 
Uh, it's actually from the Vinaya, from the, the rules of conduct. There's lots of stories there uh, that can give you a, 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 an understanding of, of this appropriateness or not appropriateness. Mm-hmm. I never, uh, I hadn't come, I had forgotten about this. I read this book many years. This is another really good book, The Life of the Buddha by Nyanamoli, uh, who was a, a monk um, who told the life of the Buddha in through discourses. So all, every everything here comes from a discourse and he, he wove together the life of the Buddha. So, but it has been a long time since I, I read it and I just happened to pick it up and uh, it was this pretty interesting story. Once while the Blessed One, the Buddha, was expounding the Dhamma, surrounded by a large number of bhikkhus, of monks, he sneezed. Buddhas sneeze too. <laughs> the bhikkhus made a loud noise saying, Long life to you, Lord. Long life to you, Lord. It turns out that saying, uh, God bless you, or Gesundheit, has a very, an ancient tradition. And actually, I ended up on hyperlink reality and looking at, uh, you know, long life to you and Gesundheit and God and bless you and all. But they, that was something that they said in those days. And so the bhikkhus said, after the Buddha sneezed, long life to you, Lord, long life to you, Lord. The noise interrupted the talk on the Dhamma. Then the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus. Bhikkhus, monks, when, when long life to you is said to someone who sneezes, may he live or die because of this? No, Lord. Bhikkhus, don't worry, there's a two-parter to this. Bhikkhus, long life to you is not to be said to someone who sneezes. Whoever does so commits an offense of wrongdoing. Okay. It's like, hey, don't, don't get into that superstition, you know. Don't, a long life to you, like, oh, that'll save you. It's all causes and conditions, causes and conditions. You don't have, don't be superstitious like, like that. Then, so then, when bhikkhus sneezed, and householders said, long life to you, Lord. They were embarrassed and did not answer. The bhikkhus, somebody sneezed and said, oh, long life to you. And the bhikkhu didn't answer, like, like you did something wrong. And, and they were embarrassed about not acknowledging it. And it, there was an awkwardness there. <clears throat> And people disapproved, and they murmured and protested, how can these monks, these sons of the Sakyas, not answer when long life to you is said to them? It was really confusing. The bhikkhus told this to the Blessed One. He said, bhikkhus, householders are accustomed to such superstitions. I allow you, when they say, long life to you, to reply, may you live long. That's the standard reply. So it was very interesting for me for a few reasons. First of all, the Buddha uh, said, oh, wait, you know, now that I think about it, hold on. Maybe we should readjust this, uh, this rule. Because it wasn't appropriate given that circumstance. It was awkward. It made people feel embarrassed. And so it's important to know when something is appropriate and when something isn't appropriate. Just think in your own practice, okay? And this suitability of action this clear comprehension, suitability of action, 
where in your own practice uh, might you adjust things when you're around others that don't really understand why you're doing what you're doing? It's probably not the time to give a discourse on not-self. You don't really exist, after all. Mm -hmm. Or when you're trying to be mindful and there's a whole lot going on, there might be other ways to bring your practice to the situation than when you were alone. So just for a few moments, um, go inside. And if you're really wanting to practice mindfulness and you're wanting to bring it more and more into your life, just think of times that you might adjust things, either what, how you explore, investigate internally, or how you behave with others externally in what you say, in what you talk about, in what you don't talk about, just because it's a different context that might not be so appropriate. Really understanding the skillful way to practice in different environments. And you might think of a a time where you can easily get caught in your own mind or your own stories that you can bring a mindfulness practice that would be very suitable or appropriate where it doesn't put others off or helps you just be more attentive in an easy way rather than in, a, in an over-diligent way. Clear comprehension of the suitability of your action. That is, understanding the most skillful way to be mindful, to practice when there's others around. Okay, so um, next time we'll, we'll do the other two. But I just really encourage you this week to play around with this, at least these two, these clear comprehension of purpose. That is, when you sit, know why you're sitting, and clear comprehension of suitability of action that is getting a sense of how you can bring your practice in a very easy, appropriate way to, the, to those around you, the circumstances around you. And I think we'll just uh, leave it here for this evening. Uh, we'll end with a, a loving kindness. And just before I, we go, is there any burning question or anything that's coming up from, from that? Okay, so you got your your little uh, extra credit assignment, <clears throat> and be light about it. <clears throat> Mainly, if you don't remember anything else than just why you practice, what moves you to practice, and let that inform your meditation. Okay, and we'll close with a short loving kindness. And here are the uh, the meta. Reflections, Grace Dietrich is having a baby while trying to overcome heroin addiction. So let's send her some loving kindness. For Juliana, that she may continue to heal and find her way. For Carl, 
that he finds his joy, peace, and loving connection. For Susie with ovarian cancer on chemo. And you might, in your own mind or heart, bring someone into the room who you want to support. And then direct some kind, loving energy towards yourself. Appreciate whatever it is that brings you here and wish yourself well. May I more and more open my heart or get in touch with all the good inside and share it. May I know true peace inside. And then to extend that out and share it from this room out to all beings everywhere. May all know true happiness and peace. May all share their love well. May whatever we do here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Nice to share the week with you, and uh, have a good week. See you next time for the other two, in case you're curious. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.